the book of Genesis, the fourth chapter. It's good to be in Dothan, Alabama tonight. Praise God. I am uh, highly honored and favored and blessed to be here with all of you this evening. I'll make maybe some more extended remarks uh, tomorrow. But we love you, and uh, I feel like I, I know a lot of you, even though I don't. I pray for you. Brother Harrelson, uh, through conversations, sometimes we'll share prayer requests, and then through uh, technology, I'm able to visit you quite often here in service. And uh, our church prays for you, many of them probably uh, you'll never meet. And at the beginning of the year, uh, as we kicked off the year with prayer, I for the month of January, our church prayed for you, this church, daily, that God would bless you spiritually, physically, financially, just in every way possible. So we want you to know that we, we love you tonight and uh, pray God's richest blessings upon you. I bring greetings from my wife and my son Noah, and uh, they are unable to be here with me, but uh, they are obviously well aware of you and your your influence and your, your impact upon uh, the kingdom of God. And so I give each and every one of you honor tonight, all the ministry of the church and uh, all the saints of God for 54 years of faithfulness to the word of the Lord and God's spirit. It is to be commended. Why don't you give yourself a hand tonight for being a part of the church? Would you do that? Thankful to be a part of the church. Praise God. Everything, good things happen to me has happened at the house of the Lord. I'm thankful for the church. Glad to be a part of the church. And so, again, we give each of you honor, honor, uh, Brother Patterson and Sister Patterson for their labor and their faithfulness here. Coming, I think he said when he was 31 years of age and uh, planning this church. And Brother Harrelson, the first time I was here, kind of took me on the reality tour and got to see the first place and and the, the various locations. Of course, I've been uh, through the old building several times. And so just commend you and congratulate you for this beautiful facility. And then um, I cannot say enough good things about your pastor, his wife, and their family. I love the Harrelson family dearly. Brother Harrelson is, is uh, such a tremendous, wonderful, great, uh, closest of friends, uh, my best friend. I appreciate him so much. And uh, we talk just about every day. A lot of times he'll call late in the evening, and my phone will be laying back in my study, and my son I know will hear it. And he'll holler and say, hey, Dad, Brother Harrelson's on the phone. It's almost like he's got an ESP or something. And uh, I'll run in there, and sure enough, it's Brother Harrelson. But I, I love your pastor, and uh, I know you love your pastor, but I, I just want to remind you, he's, he's not just Pastor Harrelson from Dothan, Alabama. He's, he's a gift uh, to the body of Christ. And you, you may not know this, but men in churches all over the nation, um, I talk to pastors daily and men all over the nation, been blessed and touched by your pastor, his ministry, his faithfulness uh, to the things of God and the Word of God, and so you are very, very blessed, and so everybody say amen. amen. Say it a little louder. Amen. All right. Praise God. We love Brother and Sister Harrelson, and uh, so thank you. Thank you for having me, inviting me. Everything's been great. Room's been great. Um, fruit was great. Cereal's great. It's all great. And uh, just, just, it's just a tremendous, tremendous blessing. Breakfast was great. We met uh, six years ago at breakfast. We have a lot of eating meetings, and uh, that's where we, that's where we started off. And so we were uh, at another great breakfast spot today, 
and uh, so I've just enjoyed it. Uh, your your pastor is the first person I ever heard. He came to Danville. I don't know, I don't know how many years ago it's been now, several, and uh, he he made the statement that uh, he was endeavoring to commit himself to preaching long, interesting messages. I thought, wow, that's awesome. I, I want to try that. I want to try that. I've got the long part down. I'm really, really good at the long part. And uh, just scratching the surface and interesting. So we're going to read our text, and then you can get good and comfortable. And uh, we're going to go to work tonight and see what the Lord will do. In Genesis, the fourth chapter, and uh, the... 16th verse tonight the scripture says and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelled in the land of Nod on the east of Eden Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bare Enoch and he builded a city called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch and unto Enoch was born Erad and Erad begat Mahujal and Mahujal begat Methuselah and Methuselah begat Lamech and Lamech took him two wives the name of the one was Adiah, and the name of the other was Zillah. And Adiah bare Jabal. He was the father of such to dwell in the tents, of such as have cattle. And his brother's, brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. Verse 25 of the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis says, And Adam knew his wife again. She bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Praise God. And we're going to pray once again, and we're going to ask the Lord to help us in the next few moments of time that we have here together to receive from his word. So why don't you join me as we pray? Lord, again, we thank you for the high and wonderful privilege of being in your house, God. I pray, Lord, that you would bless, anoint, augment the frailty of my speech, God. Help me, Lord, to hide behind the cross that you might be exalted. Let everything, Lord, that I do and say from this moment forward, God, let it be done for your glory and for your glory alone, God. We will not fail to thank you and praise you throughout eternity, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. Amen. Why don't you turn to somebody and tell them, glad you came to church tonight. We're glad you came to the house of the Lord. You may be seated. The Bible opens with this simple statement, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. These must be some of my favorite words spoken in Scripture in the beginning, God. But it's more than just my, some of my most favorite words that are recorded in script, but I really believe that this simple statement is one of the most important statements of fact that is found in Scripture. In theology, there is something that is called the law of first mention, and it dictates to us that 
the very first mention of someone or something, of some idea in Scripture has much to teach us. The first mention begins to reveal, sometimes totally and other times in partial glimpses of truth, a, a particular subject, it gives us insight. First mention becomes a guide by which we can see and understand everything else that is written in the Scripture. It is like the lens of your glasses that, that brings everything into focus. It is a formula by which we can see, by which we can understand, learn, and even grow. And so again, this statement in the beginning, God, I really believe, does just that. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, in the first verse, the writer said, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Uh, before one single word of the Bible means anything to us, I have to come to this understanding in the beginning God. Uh, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. I believe that he is tonight. I believe that he is indeed wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, uh, the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon. It's like fire shut up in our bones in the beginning God. Uh, this understanding then helps me to have that aspiration, uh, that desire to seek him diligently with all of my heart, uh, not in some frail fashion, not when it's convenient, not just when I feel good, but to seek him diligently with determination. You need the tenacity of a bulldog, friend, a made-up mind that says, I'm going to serve God. In sickness and health, I'm going to serve him. In riches and in poverty, I'm going to serve him. In good times and in bad times, as Brother Justin Harrelson reminded us, uh, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to exalt him because in the beginning God in the beginning God in the beginning God the apostle Paul in Acts the 17th chapter in Mars Hill he says this in verse 23 for as I passed by and beheld your devotions I found an altar to this inscription to the unknown God whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him declare I unto you God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with man's hands as though he have needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might find after him and find him, Though he be not far from every one of us, can I remind you that you are the temple of his spirit. Uh, you are the temple of the presence of God on the face of the earth. I'm thankful for this building. I'm thankful for this beautiful edifice. Uh, but you and I, we are the church today. Uh, this is the dwelling place of God's spirit. Hallelujah. I want to guard this temple tonight. I want to protect this temple tonight. If I were to roll in a screen and show some perverted action, some horrible words, some dastardly deed, many of us would recoil. I, I got to be reminded that this is the real temple. I, I don't want to allow anything into this temple to defile it. Uh, anything in this temple that would condemn it. Uh, I want to live purely and righteously and holy uh, and separated before the Lord. The writer said, for in him we live and move and have our being. 
You can have an existence without God. You can have a house on a hill with a white picket fence and a three-car garage and a dog and a cat, but you cannot have life without the Lord. In him we live and move and have our being. So let me once again remind you, in the beginning, God. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. In the evening and the morning were the first day. Out of nothing he spoke and things began to happen. God doesn't need anything to do something. God doesn't need any materials. He doesn't have to run down to Lowe's or Home Depot to do anything. He simply has to say, let it be, and it becomes as if it always had been. At the word of God, light shined out of darkness. The firmaments of the air were divided. Dry land appeared. Seas and oceans divided. Fowls in the air. Creatures in the deep places of the sea. Cattle and creeping, crawling things. Beasts of the earth. Everything is as exactly as he wanted it. Everything exactly as he planned it. Everything exactly as he spoke it into being. And then the crowning achievement of creation takes place in Genesis, the second chapter, in the seventh verse. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. More than a creature, more than a nameless being, more than a beast in the field or a creature in the depths of the sea made of the dirt of the ground, but so much more than dirt. Again, remembering the law of first mention, and man became a living soul. It's what elevates us. It's what makes us different than every other aspect of his creation. In Genesis 1 and 27, again, the writer recorded, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, him, male and female created he, them. Again, exactly as he wanted it, exactly as he planned it, exactly as he desired it to be. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. I do not want to take an overly deep dive into this idea some people have typed as the dominion theology, but it is indeed undeniable that this created space that God had formed was meant to be inhabited by man. It was meant to be enjoyed by man. When I reference man, I'm talking about humanity, the human race. Uh, It was meant to be subject to man. Man as God had created him. Man as God had formed him. Man as God had desired for him to be. A perfect place where humanity could thrive in harmony with all creation. A perfect place where creation could commune with the creator of all things. In Genesis the third chapter in the eighth verse the Bible says, and they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
I personally believe that this more than likely was a common experience in which the Lord would simply move amongst them. And they were not typically uncomfortable by this. They were not typically embarrassed by this. There was, matter of fact, something comforting and soothing about the idea that God would walk amongst them and that God would talk to them and that God would minister to them. And yet on this occasion, obviously it would be different. Sin had entered into the life of man in a careful uh, examining of the fall of man will indeed reveal many things to us. Somewhere along the line, the boundaries were forgotten in his life. Somewhere along the way, the household order as God had designed it uh, had been reversed. Somehow along the way, temptation uh, was something that was not run from, but rather it was something embraced and at least tolerated. Uh, God's word ultimately became so regulated to unimportance uh, that it could be questioned by creation itself. Uh, the lie was told by the serpent when he said in Genesis 3 and 4, ye shall not surely die. This was not a momentary lie with temporal consequences. The New Testament writer James was saying, James 1 and 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away with his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Physical death for Adam and Eve would wait in the wings, but spiritual death would take place immediately. The righteousness of God demanded judgment. His holiness, His greatness, His purity uh, could not condone anything less. So chaos, calamity, catastrophe, crisis, all of this had to follow. So what began as a perfect union between man and woman has now become something that is defiled by sin. Physical pain is introduced. Emotional struggle would soon follow. The dysfunction of humanity, that may be a new term and a new idea to us, but it is an ancient, ancient principle. The dysfunctionality of the human race is born in this very moment. Uh, long days worked under the heat of the sun, restless nights tending children, uh, quarreling kids that would never, ever grow out of their quarreling. It all began at this moment. In Genesis 4 and 3, the Bible says in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground and offering of the Lord and Abel. He also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Your pastor preached from this text not so long ago. But unto Cain and to his offering, the scripture says, uh, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth. And his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well. And again, this is a, a, an everlasting principle for the Lord. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? That's still applicable to us in 2021. If you do well, you'll be accepted of the Lord. If you obey Him, if you'll follow Him, if you'll trust Him, if you'll believe Him, if you'll honor Him, if you'll reverence Him, if you'll seek Him, if you'll desire Him, if you'll praise Him, if you'll worship Him, if you'll call upon Him, He will receive us. Verse 7, again, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, Sin lieth at the door. If that first statement is true, then the second statement has to be true as well. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. When things aren't going well in my life, I want to blame everything and everyone else but me. 
I want to blame politicians. I want to blame my, my forefathers. I want to blame my circumstance. I want to blame my family. I want to blame my coworkers. But hear what the word of the Lord says. Again, God's speaking here. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Can I remind you the words of the writer James? When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It always has been that way. It always will be that way. God, wake me up, shake me up, do whatever you got to do, but remind me that sin always ends up in death. Uh, it may be ultimately physical death, but it'll always be a spiritual death, uh, and that is not something that you and I can afford to live with, live through, or endure in this life. Uh, I need his presence. Uh, he that cometh to God must believe that he is uh, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently, uh, diligently, diligently seek him. So once again, humanity is confronted with the reality that sin brings judgment. So God passes judgment upon Cain in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 11. And now art thou cursed from the earth which opened up her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. And when thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. There had already been a curse placed upon the ground, but now this curse is going to be magnified in the life of Cain. Again, when thou tellest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Again, a quick review tells us that peace is only available through right relationship with God. Sin ruins everything. That's the best thing I'm going to say tonight. Sin ruins everything. If you don't remember anything else this preacher says, remember this, sin ruins everything. Uh, it always has, it always does, it always will. Uh, sin ruins everything. Uh, there's no such thing as big sins and little sins and sort of okay sins. Uh, sin ruins everything. Uh, sin wrecks our homes. Uh, sin brings division in our lives. Uh, sin makes us afraid. Uh, sin confuses us. Uh, sin troubles us. Uh, sin destroys us. Sin ruins everything. Let us never ever forget that disobedience brings judgment. This is just simple, but I'm just a simple-minded man tonight. Disobedience brings judgment. An unrepentant heart always brings more pain. An unrepentant heart always brings more pain. Proverbs 13 and 15. The writer wrote, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way... Of transgressors is hard. The decision of Adam to partake in the forbidden has now culminated with one son being dead and another son living as a marked man. Again, the Lord hath said, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. As we read through our text, as we have tonight, we read through the lineage of Cain. And we come finally to this man by the name of Lamech. 
In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 23, the scripture says this. If you have your Bibles, maybe you'd want to look there with me. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah. The first thing I take note from the scripture is that this is the first reference of bigamy that's found in the scripture. This is the first time that we find one man married to more than one wife. It's interesting that at this point in Junction Scripture, it is unusual, it is unheard of, it is not the norm. I would venture to say that it was not the accepted, but ultimately apparently became tolerated uh, until finally everyone else around them did it. Can I tell you that this is the way that transgression and sin always works in our life. Uh, what is tolerated by this generation, uh, it will be magnified by the next. Uh, God help us to not tolerate sin. Uh, God help us to not tolerate the filthiness of the flesh. Uh, God help us to not tolerate uh, letting down, setting down, shutting down uh, of what and who God has called us to be. Now's the time to stand up, to step up, to speak up, to shout up, and to boldly declare the whole counsel of God. I've been around the church all of my life, raised and reared in the church from the age of three. And I've got to tell you that things, unfortunately, have changed much. And I know I'm old-fashioned, and I know I'm an old fogey, I'm quickly becoming a grumpy old man. My grandmother told me I was a frowner as a kid, and she said, when you get old, you're going to have permanent lines in your forehead. And the prophecy has come to pass. And I'm still a frowner. I'm still a, I know he's got that horrible expression. My wife, I don't know why she married me. Every once in a while she says, you look so horrible and miserable every time you go anywhere. So God help me. Now it looks so horrible. I'm trying. I'm trying. But God help us to not tolerate. God help us to not coddle. I grew up in a church in a home. My mother didn't serve God. My father did. And we always had television. My mother took me to movies. And I watched all the stuff that you watched when you was a kid. Probably until I was about 14 or 15. Got saved. <laughs> And I can remember any time anyone ever brought up something on television or movies or whatever, it always just made me feel so uncomfortable. I remember my mother taking me to the theater, and uh, we walked out. And it was great and wonderful, and we had the jumbo popcorn. And lo and behold, my pastor was there, standing just a few doors down. I'll never forget me praying to God, Lord, don't let my mom tell him we were at the theater. She said, well, hello, Brother Ice and Wayne and I. We were just watching a movie. And, and I'll never forget the old elder putting his hand on my shoulder and looking me in the eyes and saying, Connie, let me tell you, your boy is such a good boy. The hand of God's on his life. God's going to use him. The more he talked, the smaller I got. I've lived to the point that no one ever blushes about talking about any of these things. I, I, I've lived to come to a place where we stand in the foyers and talk about Netflix and this and that and the other. Uh, we talk about what we've watched. We talk about the games we play. We talk about the things we do. And everything has become so comfortable. See, I've done stopped preaching and started meddling now, haven't I? God, help us to not tolerate uh, ungodliness and righteousness. Uh, I, I realize that technology is technology, uh, but God, help us to have a pure heart, uh, a pure mind, a pure spirit. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you rent it, watch it, buy it, go to the library and rent it. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's on the big screen or the palm of your hand. Uh, let me live holy and righteously before the Lord. 
Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, I'll move on. That didn't cost anything extra. Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. I don't know much about this guy, but I also know so much. I see the arrogance of this man. He, he reminds me of Nabal in the scripture. Someone in the Bible says that it's churlish. Look, look at him when he comes in. Hear my voice. He walks through the house. He opens the doors. Hey, women, get in here. Don't try this at home. I got something to tell you. Again, the scripture says, hearken unto my speech. He goes on to say, for I have slain a man to my wounded. Just want to let you know I killed somebody today. I, I, I want you to know that I took the life of another man today. I, I've slain a man to my wounding. He, he hurt me. He offended me. A young man to my hurt. Uh, he didn't think I had it in me. He thought I was too old and too slow. Uh, but I showed him. Uh, he hurt me. He wounded me. But I have killed him. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. Again, it's not difficult to trace the moral character of Lamech, a descendant of Cain. We can recognize the same haughty spirit. We can recognize the same self-confidence. We recognize the same disregard for human life. We recognize the same absence of reverence of God. Again, he addresses his wives as a man who glories in self-strength and vigor. As your pastor says, he gets up every morning and drinks a big tall glass of self-importance. Following the footsteps of Cain, Lamech is a murderer. He's been wounded. How and why, we don't know. And yet his vengeance is his. In the euphoria of his dastardly deeds, he clings now. Again, he, he stepped out of bounds. He's taken the life of maybe an innocent man. Uh, we don't know, but he's, he stepped out of bounds. And yet he clings to the generational protection of Cain. He wants God to protect him. He doesn't want to honor God. He doesn't want to serve God. He has no desire to live for God, but he wants the blessings of God in his life. The family of the first generation of Scripture is eerily similar to this family of humanity upon the earth today. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, the writer said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God there's any portion of scripture I believe that adequately and accurately captures the spirit of this age, this is a passage that fits. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. The writer said they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. We are here celebrating 54 years of apostolic truth, apostolic preaching, apostolic lifestyle, 54 years of declaring, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 54 years of declaring that at the name of Jesus, all of your sins can be washed away. 54 years of saying, the Holy Ghost is for you and for you and for you uh, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God should call. 
Let it not be said in 2021 and thereafter uh, that we would settle for a form of godliness. Uh, churches all over this nation going through the motions. Uh, can I say it like this? Churches even in our movement going through the motions. Uh, having a form of godliness. Uh, looking the part. Somewhat sounding the part. Uh, but denying the power thereof. Uh, let me tell you it's his power. His spirit uh, that breaks yokes. Uh, it's not our talent. It's not our ability. Uh, it's not our lights. It's not our sounds. Uh, it's his spirit. Uh, there is no Nothing that can ever or will ever substitute uh, the anointing, the unction, and the power of the Holy Ghost uh, in our lives. So let us not deny his power, but let us embrace it. It's a bold statement, but the Apostle Paul said, those that do it, you need to turn away from them. I know this sounds horrible. I know this is not politically correct. But there are relationships in my life that I've had to distance myself and even separate myself because I realized uh, that they were going in a different direction. Not a different direction than I was going. They were going in a different direction than God was going. Uh, somewhere along the way, you've got to determine uh, being right with Him means everything to me. Uh, being right with God is more important than being popular, more important than being accepted, uh, more important than being recognized. Uh, I've got to be right with God. And so in the midst this chaos in Lamech's life in the midst of this confusion in the midst of now a, a second generation of murder it seems like humanity very very quickly is spiraling out of control the scripture says this in Genesis chapter 20 or excuse me chapter 4 and verse 25 and Adam knew his wife again can I tell you I really believe with everything within my heart that this is more than just the conception of a seed this is more than just a child being born. Uh, this is more than just a chance moment in the relationship uh, of a man and a woman. No, the scripture says she bare a son uh, and called his name Seth. For God, said she, uh, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son uh, and called his name Enos. Then began uh, men to call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, here in the midst of chaos, in the midst of calamity, in the midst of confusion, uh, in the mess, midst of messing everything up, God taps him on the shoulder and says, I'm going to do something again. I'm going to give you a new seed. I'm going to give you a new son. Can I tell you that God can always do it again? That's what I'm preaching to you tonight. We serve a God that can do it again. In the midst of my mistakes, in the midst of my mess-ups, in the midst of my sinfulness, there is a God that any time can step in and say, let me do do it again. My father died now over five years ago. I've uh, shared stories with Brother Harrelson about my dad. He, he's not a perfect man, not a saint, but he was, he was a great guy in my eyes for a lot of reasons. Dad uh, fought a, a uh, valiant fight against cancer and uh, just a, a few months before he died, he wanted to take a little tour of all the places we lived, all the places he lived, places he'd worked, things that he did. And uh, so uh, I told him, Dad, the day that you're strong, if you call me, I'll come get you. I was sharing with Brother Harrelson before the service a little about this. And on that morning, he called about 6.15, woke me up. I wasn't up yet and saw his, his uh, name and number. And I answered, he said, today's the day, come get me. Hung up the phone. And uh, I got to admit... I was uh, tired that day. I was a little sluggish. Got up, got showered, got dressed, drove the 30-some miles to his house, 
picked him up. So we took the tour. So we went to the places that he lived and the places he grew up and the places that we lived as a family, places that he had worked. And finally, we made our way to uh, the cemetery and we made our way to his stone with his, his name on it, his, his date of birth. And it was there in a very, very uh, a difficult moment that we just began to talk and we got back in the car. And Dad said, I, I, I need to say some things today. It's fine, Dad. Say whatever you got on your heart. And uh, he began to tell me circumstances in his life that up to that moment I, I'd never heard before. He was 64 years young at this moment. And I never heard him tell me some of the things he told me that day. He began to tell me about, and I knew some, but he began to explain even more of the the abject poverty that he lived in as a child and waking up in the morning at times with snow on his bed and howling winds flowing through the house. And, and uh, my, my, my grandfather and my grandmother were in and out of church when he was a kid and there was really never any faithfulness and there absolutely was no blessings upon their life and they didn't honor God and they rarely never put him first and because of this it just brought so much chaos in his life and he began to tell me about my grandfather's anger and his temper and all I knew was just this doting old grandfather that, that had a, a bag of candy he was always slipping me a piece but dad began to tell me about the physical abuse he suffered as a child and the beatings that he took and he began to tell me about going out to the tobacco barn and I don't know if any of y'all ever raised tobacco or fooled with it but when I was a kid we called it backer and you, you, you grow the tobacco and chop tobacco and then when you chopped it you put it on these hickory sticks and he would tell me about my grandfather taking those hickory sticks and beating him until those sticks would break and if you don't know that's quite a beating and so many times he said he would he would beat him my, my grandfather never not one single time ever told my dad that he loved him and not the entirety of his life never hugged him never embraced him and and as he told me these things, it, again, it was just almost like a fairy tale. Like I, I'd never even heard it. I, it was just someone else's life. And then, and then he began to tell me, and he said, I, I got some more things I need to say. And so he began to pour out. He began to tell me about being molested and sexually abused as a child, multiple family members, and, and all the pain and all the anguish and all the hurt. And, and as I sat there, and I, tears run down my face. And this was like I, I was talking to someone I never met before. And he, he just began to pour out all these things and all these hurt. And then just our own life story, and I won't go into the details, but all the, 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 the problems that we had endured as a family and all the things that I saw my dad walk through. At. And uh, when he gets it all done, when he gets it all said, and I, I'm just weeping. At, and i got to be honest, there was moments that I was wanting him to stop, but I knew that he had, he had to tell me. And, and then after he gets through it all, he just stops and he says, but God has been so faithful. I'm here to tell you in the life of that man about 22, 23 years of age. Uh, he had known nothing but chaos. He had known nothing but confusion. He had known and received nothing but the results of sin in his life. Uh, but one day on the way home from work, he stopped by his parents' house, and there was nobody there, and he walked in the back bedroom, uh, and he got down on his knees, and he had not been to church, and he had not heard any preaching for years, uh, but he simply lifted up his voice and said, God, uh, could you do something in my life? Could you do something with my life? Uh, and the Holy Ghost fell and miraculously 
supernaturally filled him uh, with the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you that God can do it again? Uh, God can start all over at any moment. Uh, I was reared never knowing these things. My son has never known of these stories. Why? Because we serve a God uh, that can do it again and again and again. God uh, brings light out of darkness. God uh, brings strength out of weakness. God uh, brings favor out of frightful places. Uh, we serve a God uh, that is greater, that is able uh, to do exceeding and abundantly above today. Anything we could ever hope, ask, or imagine. We could examine tonight quickly the people like Naomi in the scripture. The scripture says in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem went to sojourn in the land of Moab. He never determined to live there, only passed through. And yet you know the remainder of the story. He dies there. His boys die there. She ultimately is going to return home to Bethlehem, Judah. She's heard the sound of bread is there. And in Ruth 1 and 20, the scripture says that she says unto them when they greet her, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. But we serve a God that can do it again. We serve a God that can bring life and light out of darkness. Three generations later, we see David at the time that kings went to war. David made one of the most grave mistakes of his life. A look became an affair. Affair became murder. And finally, we see him bearing the cold, lifeless prodigy of that child that had been given to him. But God, who is rich in mercy, he did it again. Another son would be born. His name Solomon. A temple would be built. The house of the Lord in God's presence. His Shekinah would fall down upon him because we serve a God that can do it again. Read through the New Testament, the countless stories, whether it's Bartimaeus who was born blind or, or Mary and Martha who had lost their brother again and again. We see instances uh, where God steps into the scene and he does it again. Uh, I'm here to preach to you after 54 years uh, of victories and defeats, of going forward and setbacks. Uh, we serve a God that can do it again. Uh, 54 years of watching people walk out these doors uh, not to return, but we serve a God uh, that can do it again. He can draw them again. He can call them again. Uh, he can fill them again. Uh, he can raise up the greatest revival this city has ever known. I thank God for this building, but he's got a revival that this building cannot and will not hold. That's not superbly. That is saying that we serve a God that is able. He's able today to do it again. A few weeks ago, Brother Ron Beckton from Nashville, Tennessee, was with us in Danville. He preached a tremendous message about the prodigal son. Towards the end of his message, he had an illustration in which he took a clay pot, which was indicative of the Jews of that day when someone would leave them and go amongst the Gentiles, and if they would ever return, they would, they would smash that pot, representing the fact that they were cut off never to be received again. He talked about the father's love who ran out to that boy and, of course, restored him and redeemed him before anyone got the opportunity to cast him away. And at the end of that service, there were shards of pottery all over the platform. I asked one of the young men to help me, and we began to pick up these pieces. And I looked out in our church, and I just simply said, uh, in this congregation, there, there are countless children and grandchildren, friends and family, loved ones that have walked away from the Lord after all these years. Uh, and I wonder if there's anybody that would like to come and just get a piece of this pottery, just to, as a reminder that we're not going to give up on them. We're not going to quit praying for them. We're not going to believe for them. i, I, I got to be honest with you, and again, this is a church I pastor, and I know all their stories, uh, but I was shocked as all of a sudden men and women began to flow out of these aisles, uh, and 30-year-old parents and 40-year-old parents and 60- and 70-year-old parents 
hands uh, with tears running down their face uh, and they begin to reach up and grab these uh, pieces of pottery and they begin to weep and they begin to cry uh, and as I stood there that day I realized that if just their families uh, came back to the house of the Lord we could not hold them in that building uh, and I began to pray as never before God do it again uh, God bless again uh, God call again uh, God draw again I wonder today if there's anyone in this house uh, that has a need that has a, a loved one uh, that has a friend that has a connection uh, has a dream that maybe has been buried under years of shame and guilt uh, but you would like to say to the Lord God could you do it again uh, God would you do it again uh, could you bring new life could you raise it up again uh, could you restore it could you rebuild it uh, God could you do it again Jesus said and I'm hastening to close tonight in John the 15th chapter Jesus said I am the vine you are the branches he that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me ye can do nothing if a man abide not in me he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them cast them in the fire they are burned my father owns one of the largest wholesale nurseries in the state of Kentucky I worked for him for nine years we had this, the scripture so real, we had this, this, this burn pile. We would take plants that just weren't growing like they should have, plants that just weren't maturing like they should, and we would set them aside, and then finally it would be time to push them all up with a dozer, and we'd get the gas, and we'd get the fire, and we would set them aflame. They were unredeemable. There was nothing of value. There was, there was no way that they could ever be a, of any service again. Jesus draws this mental picture in our minds to remind us that this is the ultimate and final destination of all men that make the conscious, willing decision not to abide in Him. For all men that choose, not of anyone else's choosing, but our individual choices to not abide in Him. And yet I'm reminded of what the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 17 and 24. And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree have exalted the low tree, have dried up the green tree, and have made the dry tree to flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. There is coming a day, do not lose sight, that all men that make the decision not to abide in him will be cast into an everlasting eternal fire. But that day is not yet this day. That moment is not yet this moment. And in this moment, we serve a God that's able to cause the dry tree to flourish. Uh, we serve a God that's able to restore. We serve a God uh, that's able to breathe life again. If you would stand with me in this house, uh, Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, uh, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Whether you understand it or realize it or not tonight, we are all here a result of God's goodness, God's grace, and God's mercy. The first time that any of us ever came to the Lord, none of us came to Him in strength. None of us came to Him from a lofty and exalted place. None of us came to Him with anything to offer. 
We all came to him broken and battered. We came to him sick and tired and sick and tired of being sick and tired. We came to him used and abused and neglected and forgotten. We came to him guilt-ridden and shameful. And the God of all creation, he stepped into our life and said, I can remake this. I can restore this. I can do something with this again. I can bring this back to my original intention. I can walk with you and talk with you and commune with you. And I can make it right. And the God that did it then, he's able to do it again and again and again and again in our lives. Every eye closed, everyone very prayerful tonight. Anybody got a burden for a loved one that's drifted away? Anybody got any chaos in your life that you'd like to just put on the blood for the last and final time? Anybody got any hurts? Anybody got any resentment? Anybody got any bitterness? Anybody got any guilt? Anybody got any hurt? Anybody got any pain? That one more time you'd like just to place in the hands of the Lord with trembling hands and voice and simply ask Him, Lord, would you do it again? Would you restore us again? Would you make a way again? Let me testify and say, He's did it for me. And He will do it for you. Anybody want to come talk to Him tonight? Anybody got something you'd like to bring and just lay on this altar and say, God, I'm asking that you would do it again. Anybody need a fresh touch from the Holy Ghost and you just like to say, God, visit me again. Restore me again. Breathe on me again. Touch me again. Anybody got the name of a lost loved one? You just like to come and lift up before the Lord and say, God, here's my children. Here's my grandchildren. Here's my nieces, my nephews. They've walked away from you. They've turned away from you. But Lord, would you do it again? Come on, let's call on his name right now.